0: Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo,
2: quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is gonna go.
1: Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, it's Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group and a midday producer over at 95.7 The Game in the Bay Area. Kyle, you went to Disneyland over the weekend, and I want to hear all
2: about Star Wars Land. Well, so, hey... (laughs) <laughs> um well do you want to know about have you been to batu yet galaxy's edge i have not okay I'm extremely so, envious so it's the second time i've been uh we got to go on rise of the resistance which is the new ride we went on it twice and disney walt disney when he created disneyland he didn't want normal amusement park rides he wanted to create experiences And that's why Disney always calls their rides attractions because that's what they are. Their attractions are not like traditional theme park rides. So this is an experience like rise of the resistance is maybe the most incredible, uh, call it a ride. I guess I've, I've ever been on. There's like two different sections of it and it's like really interactive. It's, uh, incredible galaxy's edge in general really engulfs you in the star wars universe like you forget you're in disneyland gal uh rise of the resistance takes that to a different level it's really incredible and if you like star wars even a tiny bit like you're mildly interested in it you will love it it's remarkable yeah i may or may not have a, a 2000
1: piece lego version of boba boba fett's ship uh, somewhere in my house so yeah i'm um, definitely a uh a star wars uh person you gotta go and uh very much looking forward to uh to going to galaxy's edge at some point but in the meantime uh we are cranking out some more off-season content and it is february and probably the slowest portion of the off-season at least for us until july Um, which is the gap between the end of the offseason program and training camp when everybody's on vacation. And we know that the 49ers are back um, at their facility, really starting to grind on their offseason duties, getting ready for uh, the combine, doing a lot of film work, the personnel department, thinking about the salary cap, free agency and all the gymnastics that he's going to have to do in order to keep the team at this Super Bowl level um, to, you know, get back to where the 49ers were in 2019. And, and this time last year, Kyle, you and I were talking about some of the rookies before they were drafted. And and we talked a lot about Nick Bosa. And it, the conversation was Nick Bosa versus and Williams, of course. And then uh, you and I talked about Debo Samuel a lot, too, because of how well we thought he might fit with what Kyle Shanahan wants to do. Uh, based on what we saw from him at the Senior Bowl, too. Um, so we're going to get into the rookies um, a little bit later on, but I I, br- I bring that up because we're going to spend this podcast grading the rookie class from 2019 and uh, and sort of uh, take, take a look back on how important a lot of those guys were because really, I mean, I think you look at the season as a whole and, and a lot of key moments and, and developments throughout the year you can make a really strong case that the 49ers do not go to the Super Bowl maybe even you know struggle to get into the playoffs or at least the number one seed and win the NFC West without this rookie class and it was a really good one Um I, I think they got four starters out of it and, and we'll go through that but Kyle just in in a broad sense, what was your impression of the impact the 2019 rookie class had on this on the Super Bowl run the 49ers made?
2: No, I think you I think you said it when you talk about how vital those first-year players were. Going into the year, one of the one of the caveats was like if the Niners are going to contend or if they're going to really compete, they need to hit a home run in this this 2019 draft class. And I think when we go through these grades, just kind of the preliminary chat we had, uh, I I think that you can classify the 2019 draft as, as a home run, uh, both looking back on it now and just kind of during the year. It seemed like uh, every game there were different rookies stepping up, and if that becomes the norm for the 49ers, they're going to be really good for a really, really long time.
1: Yeah, so let's start with Nick Bosa, who... Uh, had nine sacks and I mean we I think you and I both thought he would be a very very good pro right away the big question that you and I both had and um, a lot of other people did was about durability because uh, he had a knee injury in high school he missed all of three game uh, everything except the first three games of his last college season at Ohio State with that core muscle injury and Bosa came in and, despite having a hamstring injury in June, um, and then spraining his ankle in the first week of training camp, after looking like an absolute star on the field and giving Joe Staley all sorts of problems, and in, in the first padded practices, Bosa came out after not playing in in the preseason or really at all in August, and was a stud from the jump. And then wound up appearing in every single game, making 14 starts. He finished with nine sacks. I think he had what three in the playoffs? Yeah. Um, was an absolute terror in the Super Bowl. And, um, if the Niners had won the Super Bowl, we'd be talking a lot about Nick Bosa and, and the game that he had. He had 12 total pressures, which was his most of the season. Um, the other game where he had an absurd amount of pressures was at Seattle, which was probably the biggest regular season game that the 49ers had this year. Um, I mean, it, it was just one of those things where he came in and was a star right away. He led all defensive players in Pro Bowl voting. Uh, he was the AP Defensive Rookie of the Year and was a shoe in. Um, so I, it was really a, <clears throat> excuse me, it was really a home run scenario for the Forty ers because, you know, we talked about it. The Forty ers did get a little bit lucky in that they were a four and twelve team by record, but the talent on the roster. Um was far better than a four and twelve team. and that's one of the reasons why the team was able to make such a significant jump. Adding Nick Bosa to an already pretty good roster, including a bunch of good defensive linemen, um was a massive development for the forty ers and so i'm I'm not going out on a limb here. i'm I'm giving the Nick Bosa selection with number two pick an a plus because he was sort of a transformative figure and emblematic of of the team's quick rise, and he should be a forty er for a long, long time. and Really, It wouldn't really surprise me if at some point we're talking about him maybe as soon as next season as a Defensive Player of the Year candidate if, if he's able to build a, on his rookie season and continue this trajectory.
2: Yeah, sometimes you see a team take a high draft pick and everybody's saying A, B, and C about him in pre-draft analysis and that team swings and misses. You can look at Solomon Thomas and what that does to a team when you miss on a pick that high. It probably set the 49ers back, and when you have a player like Nick Bosa, who all year was the consensus top player in the draft until about the combine when Kyler Murray at the number one pick started leaking out, um, Bosa showed at least in the 2019 season that he was the best rookie in that draft class, and that's what the 49ers needed With the number two pick, uh, every pre-draft good thing there was to say about him, whether it was his explosiveness or his technical skill as a pass rusher or his motor, like all of those things hit. Everything was exactly right, and the Niners needed that. They don't go to the Super Bowl if Nick Bosa is not a defensive rookie of the year, the runaway defensive rookie of the year. Uh, and I I, so, I I don't think that's that's really going out on, on a limb, and I'm I'm with you. I that's a that's an A plus type of pick. So according to Pro Football Focus, among edge defenders,
1: Nick Bosa's 80 pressures were sixth best in the NFL. Um, he had more. This is a a pretty crazy list. He had more pressures than Von Miller, who had 77. Chandler Jones who had 75. Joey Bosa who had 71, Calais Campbell, who had 71, and Khalil Mack, who had 70. So in the same number of games, Nick Bosa had 10 more pressures than Khalil Mack. Now, obviously there's a lot that goes into that, and Nick Bosa was also playing on a super talented defensive line, which made his life a lot easier and basically put him in an optimal situation, but it also speaks to just his pure talent level. Like, you need to be very talented to to get pressures. Pressures are not... um, a statistic that is really at all dependent on you know your your team and and what's happening around you it's it's a individual pass rusher stat um and it's pretty easy to delineate because you're going one-on-one against a tackle essentially every play or at least when you're not getting double team but on the edge it's pretty easy to quantify and and those guys are really you know they're they're guys who stand out pretty regularly. And, and it's not really fluky when those guys are there. And Nick Bosa is up there with a lot of stars already. So, um, really impressive rookie season from him. He passed Um, the,
2: he passed the eye test too. Like you don't, you didn't need, like, I, I, I understand the value of being able to quantify those things, but it was just, when you watch the 49ers defense, Nick Bosa was around the quarterback. It felt like every single play and the numbers just back that up.
1: And he's really good against the run, too
2: yeah, he's terrific run defender. There were a couple of times that teams like tried to isolate him with like trick plays on the edge, and he he played him perfectly yeah he's he's gonna be a really good player for a long time
1: yeah uh, uh, all right Debo Samuel second round pick um, God, he was draft he was born in nineteen ninety six I feel old um thirty six overall was a little bit interesting when the 49ers took him because there were some other receivers um still on the board uh AJ Brown who went 51st to to Tennessee comes to mind and there was a lot of I know at least in the um you know in the Niners media workroom there was a lot of talk about you know Debo Samuel versus AJ Brown and and who people liked better Um, I didn't really have an opinion because I did YouTube scouting and I'm not going to claim that that's like super valuable and and a good indicator of, of how to evaluate these guys. but, But I could see why watching Debo Samuel, Kyle Shanahan was so interested in him. Um, but also like, uh, AJ Brown would have been really good for the 49ers too, just in different ways. But, um. When the forty nine ers made that pick, it was just obvious. It was like you saw the senior bowl practice cutups where he's just dusting these corners with his separation skills at the line of scrimmage. Um, you watched what he did in college and how many different ways he scored touchdowns. Um he ran the ball, of course, obviously he had passing or he had receiving touchdowns. I think he had a passing touchdown. Um, Just a really versatile player, and that came out to bear fruit, and he had one of the best rookie seasons um, in team history, the most receiving yards by a rookie receiver since Jerry Rice. He had 802 receiving yards, um, another 159 rush yards, but it felt like it was a lot more than that because every time he ran the ball in one of those reverses, it felt like it went for 30 or 40 yards. Um, he had three the, second, the second
2: highest yards per carry ever for a player with 14 or more carries.
1: Yeah, that's wild. Um, Nine hundred sixty-one scrimmage yards. Most ever Samuel by a 49 rookie. Yeah. So I'm gonna give this a uh, an A just because Samuel was really really good and might have been super, the MVP of the Super Bowl had the 49ers pulled it out um, with the way he was playing. He set a he set a record for receiving yards by a rookie receiver or by any receiver in the Super Bowl, I believe, R- with 54. Yards. Yeah, rushing yards. 53. Um, so just a super dynamic weapon. Caught 70% of his targets, which is right where you want him to be. Um, really good player. I do wonder, and this is a concern with any second-year guys, are they able to replicate um, or build on their rookie season and not take a step back? Because we saw in 2018 so many of those 2017 rookies that showed promise late in the year took steps back in 2018 and obviously that wasn't the 49ers only issue, but it was probably their second most important one behind losing Jimmy Garoppolo to that knee injury was, you know, second year guys um, not really adjusting to life as a pro as well as you would like. Um, and it, it leading to not being as productive on the field. So Samuel is going to have a tough job now of entering his second season with all sorts of expectations, right? People are going to be really, really high on Debo Samuel from a fantasy perspective. Um, I think a lot of people are going to expect him to be a Pro Bowl caliber player from here on out, particularly in Kyle Shanahan's offense with so many different ways he can be used. If um, Emmanuel Sanders doesn't come back, he is probably going to end up being the team's number one receiver going into the season. Um, so there are going to be expectations on Samuel, and it's going to be a tough task for him to live up to those uh, and and become a star player. The 49ers are going to need him to be next year. Um, but that being said, I mean, just talking about his rookie season, I'm giving it an A because he was exactly what the 49ers needed and gave Kyle Shanahan a dynamic the team didn't have. Um, and it looks like he's going to be a good player for a long time.
2: I think the important thing for Samuel going forward, I'm giving him an A for his rookie season, too, for all the things you said. I think the important thing with Samuel going forward is that the 49ers don't try and lean on him as their number one wide receiver. Like I think he's really good in that kind of Anquan Bolden mold where he is an elite number two receiver and your passing attack is going to be excellent as long as he's the number two receiver. If he is their best receiver for the next decade, uh, I worry about that a little bit but um that's not to say that he's not exceptional. He's he's really really good and I think he's going to be good moving forward. Um especially if he's able to build on that rookie season or even if he Oh my goodness. My cat are you a big Debo guy? Yeah. <laughs> okay. My cat's a big Debo fan. Um Yeah, I just I I I think he's going to be a fine player going forward, but I do think the 49ers can't be set uh, at receiver saying that Debo's at the top of the depth chart and then everything else behind him doesn't matter much I do think they need another guy uh to line up across from him on a regular basis uh that can operate as the you know quote-unquote number one receiver or a player with a similar skill set or, or or something he just can't be the lone target in the in on on the perimeter because I think then the Niners would be in trouble
1: yeah agreed so um Let's move on to the third-round pick, Jalen Hurd. Uh, Didn't play a snap because he had a back injury that he initially suffered during the joint practices with the Denver Broncos in August before the second preseason game. He wound up playing in that preseason game, um, and I think he aggravated it, and that led to him basically getting shut down. The interesting thing with Jalen Hurd was that, I mean, I don't really know if how much he was around the team throughout the year. And we don't, we haven't gotten any clear indication from Kyle Shanahan or John Lynch about the severity of the injury and whether or not he required surgery. Um, So that's something that I'm sure when, when Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch speak at the combine next week, um, they will address that and, and we'll have a better idea of what to expect from her going forward. Um, so the grade for me is, is an NA it's, it's not applicable because he just didn't play and he was hurt, but it's also worth mentioning that there were injury issues he had, um, in college at Tennessee. And, you know, it was one of the reasons why he switched from running back to receiver was because of the physical toll that the position takes. Um, and so you know we'll have to see there there were you know knocks on him kind of about commitment issues and and durability and he is a big tough physical player um but you wonder how much the 49ers um how how reliable he would be particularly early in his career as he's changing positions and I know he scored two touchdowns in the preseason opener against the Cowboys um but you know you him not being around him, having a back injury um, and nobody really explaining what happened to him this season is a little bit troublesome and, and I guess a little bit worrisome. And that's not to say that he can't get healthy this off season and, and have a good career, but back injuries are, are always a little bit scary. They're always a little bit more complicated than people think. Um, Garrett Selleck basically just retired because of back injuries. So, we'll we'll have to see um what what happens with hurt he's a he's a talented player and you could definitely see why the 49ers were interested in him but it is a little bit worrisome that at this point your third round pick who you took a pretty significant chance on didn't play his snap as a rookie and uh is sort of um i don't want to say he's missing because i'm sure the 49ers know where he's at and have been in communication with all that but he was just not somebody who was around and and it's worth mentioning because other injured guys are often around. You see them; they're visible. Um, Hurd was not visible really at all this season, and so that'll be something to to keep an eye on going forward.
2: Yeah, but there's a there's a world where Jalen Hurd comes back next year healthy and plays just a bananas role in the 49ers offense. Like we yeah. saw Debo Samuel this year, like lining up in the backfield and all those jet motions and stuff. There's a world where Jalen Hurd is doing that while also lining up as like an inline tight end and also lining up uh, out wide as a receiver and also at running back. Like the the chess piece that his ceiling can allow him to be is really fun to think about. But his rookie year was very concerning. I'm going to give the grade an incomplete because we just haven't haven't seen anything yet. But his first preseason game was very promising. And if there's a level that he's going to reach uh, where that pick, uh, if there's a level where he's going to, hang on, I've got this. <laughs> there's a level that he can reach that, that just makes that pick a total game changer for the 49ers offense but like getting him on the field at all first is is going to be key uh because if if he doesn't play uh FYI in my opinion uh that's not good that's my
1: take so so i can say this now because the season's over um the 49ers were doing really interesting things with herd during training camp practices or at least the practices that we were allowed to watch while he was healthy, um, including lining up in the backfield as a running back. And I mean, you you saw what kind of matchup issue hurt is for defensive backs, right? Just because he's big, he's 230 pounds, he's six, four, whatever. Um, but as a running back coming out of the backfield in the passing game, Where you could isolate him on linebackers could really be, like you mentioned, a a game-changing kind of element to the offense. Just this, you know, we talk about Kyle Shanahan's positionless football. Um, You know, hurt is another guy like uh, George Kittle and Kyle Usechek and Debo Samuel to a certain extent.
2: Yeah, it's like a blend of those guys.
1: You can you can line him up anywhere. Um, So yeah, they're. There is a lot of intrigue as to what he could bring, but yeah, there's there's no grade for his rookie season because it's uh, he didn't play a snap, and so you wonder now what his future is going to be like and if these back issues are going to persist or if they weren't that bad and the team was just being extra cautious and by the time he was healthy, um, it didn't really make much sense to ingratiate him back in because you were competing, the offense was playing well, and you had the year to to give him, essentially, a redshirt season. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's it on on Hurd. Uh, Mitch Wisnowski, fourth-round pick, uh, the punter from Australia and Santa Barbara City College. Shout-out to all my Vaqueros out there um, and the University of Utah, obviously. Uh, Wisnowski, I pulled up his pro football focus page he was the NFL's uh, 23rd highest graded punter. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a great rookie season for him. It wasn't a bad rookie season from him. Um, he had, let's see, I'm trying to figure out a way. So he was also 23rd in punts down inside the 20, um, but there isn't, it's not a great stat because he didn't punt all that much because the Niners' offense was good. Uh, oh, here we go. Return rate. So he was 14th in in return rate. So returners only returned 44.2% of his punts. Um, he kicks it
2: really high.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not a punting expert. Um, he averaged 44.9 yards per punt. His net was 41.6 which was tied for 15th um so i'll I'll say he was a middle of the pack punter now does that make him a bad draft pick i don't know i would assume he's going to be better than he was he certainly wasn't an issue for the niners this year although maybe on kickoffs he could have been better and more consistent um he didn't boom him out of the backfield nearly as as often as our guy bradley pinion did But, um, I mean, you know, I'll give it like a D, a C minus. I mean, he might be in the league for 10 years or 15 years, whatever, and end up being a good punter, but to use a fourth round pick on a guy who didn't come in and offer that like Michael Dixon impact is one of the league's best punters from jump. Like we thought he might be, um, I guess is a little bit problematic and I haven't gone through the draft to see like guys they passed on. But I mean, Wisnowski's fine. He's a fine punter. Um, think... But the fact you use a fourth round pick on him is problematic, which is probably why he's, he's, you give him or you give the pick a, a C or a D at this point.
2: Yeah, I think, I think he gets a C minus uh, just because it was a fourth round pick. And I've, i I might have graded it worse based on, what I said preseason was like to justify taking a punter in the fourth round. Like this guy's got to be an all pro because you can get a punter in the fifth round or the sixth round or the seventh round or get one undrafted or sign a free. Like there's, you know, there's a million different ways you can get a punter, but Mm -hmm. the 49ers were supposed to be getting like a game changing type of player with, with And from a not allowing a ton of return standpoint, uh, he, he did a nice job there. But like you said, he wasn't an All-Pro. But part of the reason I said he needs to be an All-Pro is because during the draft, I thought the Niners were going to have a serious issue in their secondary that they needed to address first. And that wound up not being the case. They had one of the best secondaries in the league with Jaquaski Tart, and, and Jimmy Ward and then Akella Witherspoon and Emmanuel Mosley and, and Richard Sherman and Kwan Williams. Those guys did such a nice job this year that it lessened the blow of not finding a player uh, to plug into that secondary in the fourth round. Does that make sense? Like yeah, it for felt, sure. It felt like the Wisnowski pick was even more of a reach because of the perceived needs of the 49ers in the draft when really, like, punter was a legitimate need. And they went out and got one, and yeah. was fine. Uh, I'm interested to see how he does moving forward. Um, because if he's just going to kind of be a league average punter, that's okay. And the Niners will probably be fine with that because like you said, they didn't punt a ton this year. Um, but at the same time, like you'd hope that using a pick that high on a, on a punter would net something more than just a guy that you probably would have been able to get uh, that type of reduction from the sixth round. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at the fourth round of the draft. There isn't a player who Chauncey Gardner Johnson go after him.
1: No, he went uh, 105. Wisnowski was 110. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not Riley Ridley. Uh, didn't the they receiver. trade down?
2: Am I tripping? I think they traded.
1: Riley down. Ridley went to Chicago, uh, um, at pick 126. As kind of an interesting receiver, I didn't realize his rookie season was basically a wash. He appeared in five games had six catches for 69 yards um nice. which is nice but um yeah the, I'm, I'm going through this fourth round there isn't somebody you're like oh the Niners really should have taken that guy uh what, what's interesting about it which is a thought that just popped into my head is like drafting a punter in the fourth round is a win now move which in hindsight yeah. makes sense because the 49ers were good but they also had the number two pick in the draft and we're four and 12 last year and not good. So doing a win now thing, like drafting a punter in round four seemed weird, but uh, it sort of spoke to the confidence that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch had and in, in the team they had that maybe, okay, we, we think we have a lot of good players. Let's, let's try to go get a good punter. Um, hey, because,
2: re- real quick, just to, just to save my own credibility here. The Niners did yeah. trade back from pick number 104. Um, Chauncey Gardner Johnson went 105. Max Crosby from the Raiders had a really nice rookie year. Uh he went one oh six.
1: So. Oh, interesting. Okay. What did the
2: Niners get in that trade back? Uh hang on. Let me move my little Skype bubble here. Okay. Uh traded one oh four for uh two sixth round selections. 183 and 198. We're doing this live on the pod, so you guys are welcome for this. That also netted them Justin's School and Tim Harris, who we will get to later. Okay. Interesting.
1: Um your credibility's saved. Thanks for doing that. You're welcome. Um all right, let's take a quick break to tell you guys about our sponsor, Bet Online. The fastest and easiest way to bet on all things sports. March Madness, the Masters, Major League Opening Day are right around the corner. BetOnline has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. The best part, when you sign up, you receive a 50% welcome bonus. The Wilder Fury rematch goes down this Saturday night, and we can't think of a better way to wager on the fight than doing it with actual free money. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to revive your 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. We signed up. It's super easy. And if you're already into betting, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Kyle, I'm kind of a kind of a golf guy, not a huge golf guy, but like if I'm hanging out on the weekend and there's a tournament on, I'm probably watching it, particularly if it's one of the bigger tournaments. Um, I actually find golf to be really fun to watch on TV because I try to play golf. Uh, And I think the only way you can really enjoy watching golf is if you play it because you can like see the yardage totals and what clubs are using. And then it's actually like relatable, which is um, unique to golf. But anyway, I was uh, I was looking at betonline.ag and who I liked for the Masters because I mean it's it's never too early to start thinking about bets you can make um, in the Masters. And uh, hold on, I got to pull it back up. Majors, futures. This is really good content. Um, all right, the Masters, April ninth, starting Thursday. I'm looking at Ricky Fowler at plus 2,500, Kyle, 25 to one.
2: I love Rick.
1: I'm thinking it might be his year. He's been in contention before in Augusta. Uh, He's looking for his first major. I think Ricky's got the goods. Rick's been close uh, a
2: lot of times.
1: I, I went to a tournament. I went to the waste management open in Phoenix, not this last year, but the year before the tournament that he won. Um, so I've seen him play winning golf, which is probably coloring my opinion, but uh, I think Fowler's next up on this uh, on on you know this young crew of t- talented golfers that has yet to win a major. So uh, Ricky Fowler plus twenty five BetOnline.ag that uh, could be a nice little payday for you guys coming from your resident golf expert Chris over here at uh Candlestick Chronicles. So uh, yeah, do you have any you have any bets you think uh, you think people should know about?
2: I love Brooks Kepka plus
1: 1200.
2: Okay. That's great odds. Uh Jordan Speith at plus 2500, he shares those odds with Ricky Fowler. Uh but my guy is Bryson DeChambeau, who often gets compared to Ted Williams in terms of how like in terms of how maniacal he is about his swing and honing his swing. So I've always been a big Bryson DeChambeau guy, and he's going off at plus 3300 uh but i really like the odds for speeth at plus 2500 there. uh jordan speeth is a uh terrific golfer and i think he is going to win the masters. you can tell i watch a lot of golf. He's really right, that... he's really hitting the golf out there today. Chris. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All
1: right, that's uh that's that's been our golf segment for the day. Uh let's get back to grading some of these draft picks. So, next up, fifth round pick uh, Dre Greenlaw, who sort of raised a lot of eyebrows when the 49ers made the pick because you take Dre Greenlaw in the fifth round, 148th overall, coming in, uh, I think a hamstring injury prevented him from running at the combine if memory serves. Sounds right. Uh, and he there were, there were numbers out there, but they were slow. Uh, and so it kind of you know, you wondered what the 49ers are thinking there. And then you talked to Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and said, and they said, you know, watching him and clocking him, that he was one of the fastest linebackers in the SEC. And he was a four-year starter um, at Arkansas. And then there was a the story, of course, about him saving um, a young woman at a party from getting date raped. And, uh, and somebody, you know, putting or putting a drug in, in her drink at a party or whatever. um. And then he, so you get the idea that he's a good character guy. And he turns out to be a super valuable player, particularly as a rookie fifth-round draft pick who comes in. He started 11 games. Um, he filled in at Will Linebacker for Quan Alexander after Alexander went out on Halloween with the torn pectoral. Um, and then maintained that starting role even when Alexander came back and shifted Alexander to Sam. Um, and Greenlaw had one of, if not the biggest defensive plays of the year when he stopped Jacob Hollister of the Seahawks, about five inches short of the goal line, uh, late in the fourth quarter of Week 17, to preserve the number one seed, the first round by, home field advantage, which was obviously massive because the 49ers went to the Super Bowl, of course, but had they not won that game and had allowed the Seahawks to score there after scoring three straight touchdowns on three straight drives in the second half of that game in their in their comeback attempt, 49ers would have been on the road and not had a first round bye and not had any home games in the playoffs and probably wouldn't have gotten to the Super Bowl because it just would have been a much harder path. So Greenlaw, I'm giving it an A um, because, I mean, if you can get a starter in the fifth round, particularly a high-level starter um, who's versatile and uh, you can just throw him in the mix that early on in his career and he can be a plus-level player for you, I think that's super important and super valuable. And so Greenlaw, to me, is an A. And uh, you have to feel really, really good about the 49ers linebacking for Going forward with Greenlaw, Fred Warner, and, and Quan Alexander seemingly entrenched for a long time to, to come.
2: Yeah, and when when it comes to a guy like Greenlaw, eventually teams like I think it's coming, but eventually teams are going to wise up to the idea that 6-2, 227, two twenty seven isn't like undraftably small for a linebacker anymore.
1: That's basically standard.
2: Yeah, I think I think that used to be the case where if you had a linebacker who was six two, two twenty-seven, that guy's either moving to safety or moving out of the league. And now you get a guy like Dre Greenlaw where uh you know, oh, can he can he play against the run? Like it doesn't matter if he can play against the run. He's a dynamite defender uh against the pass. He can stick with tight ends, he can play with running backs and he can get to the edge uh against the run. Like he's he's a re- really, really good player and uh like you said maybe not working out uh, at the combine or not running at the combine uh was what really dropped his draft stock but i have a hard time believing it was just that um i just uh it, it made a lot of sense when when they took him and i think you and i both talked about how um you know he he could easily fit into a starting role given given the niners' roster at linebacker going into the year and then i think you said it after like the first or second day of training camp like hey this guy's good like this guy can play uh and and, and you were spot on and i think that like you said with with warner and greenlaw and, and alexander that's that's gonna be a really good group for a long time And when you look at just kind of prototypical modern linebackers just as kind of what people in the 90s probably saw as a strong safety um I, I think the Niners have three really good ones for the modern game. And I think that's going to help their defense a lot. Yeah.
1: So I, that was, I'm glad you brought up Greenlaw and training camp because I had forgotten about it, but because Quan Alexander was coming off the ACL tear, um, green was getting all first team reps in practice and, and throughout training camp, or at least through the first few weeks of training camp. And, even in the offseason program, like in um, in OTAs in June, Greenlaw was just taking plays early on in practice. Like it seemed like the first run play in in each of those sessions that we were able to watch Greenlaw was in the backfield making a TFL. Um, and you talk to guys and, and the coaches and one's like, yeah, he's, he's picking it up quick. Like he's definitely a rookie, but he has all the speed, all the tools, everything you want. And he's just a guy that, for some reason, laughed, lasted until the fifth round, and um, and yeah, I, it was evident like early on that he was going to be a, a valuable a valuable player on on the fringes of the roster. Now he's he's going to be a long term starter. Um, so that's, yeah, that's an A like for the, me, by the way. Yeah, we both like the Greenlaw pick. Uh, next up, Caden Smith, the Stanford tight end, uh, who went 176 overall, round six. Um, if Caden Smith doesn't sound familiar to you, it's because he didn't play for the 49ers this year because he didn't make the team out of training camp. Um, the 49ers were hoping to get him to the practice squad, but he was claimed by the New York giants and he wound up playing nine games for them starting six. Uh, he made 31 catches, 268 yards, three touchdowns. He caught 74% of his targets. Um, not a bad year for you know a tight end drafted in round six who really isn't very slow or really isn't fast is is really pretty slow but um showed promise just in terms of uh his overall versatility but he wasn't good enough to unseat Ross welly or levine toy lolo or even garrett Selleck um at that point so the 49ers tried to get him on the practice squad didn't work and um he went on to the Giants. So in terms of grades, I don't know. You you give a guy that that doesn't stick on your roster because you have better players, and then he lands elsewhere and has a decent rookie season. I mean, you, you go C.
2: C that's plus, an F for me. It's an F. Yeah, he didn't make the roster. He swung and okay. missed on a draft pick. Like that's not that's not an indictment of Kaden Smith the player, but from the 49ers standpoint, like they. They had an opportunity to. Wow, cool man! Hope you can hear my cat. Does not like the the Caden Smith uh, F grade, but that's fine. I'm with him. Um, no, but, but, No, but does that? Caden I Smith, mean, is that that is, that...
1: Caden Caden Smith had as many receiving touchdowns as Debo Samuel this year.
2: Okay, but on a different team. <laughs> uh, I, I just. Um, I, are you uh, taking the Caden Smith is better than Debo Samuel corner? No, it's unoccupied right now.
1: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going no, there.
2: No, but I, I just when it comes to the 49ers draft class, that is a draft pick that they used uh, and effectively wasted. Like Caden Smith is a fine player. I'm not grading his rookie season, uh, but from the 49ers standpoint, that draft pick uh might as well have just not existed, and that's an f like that's saying I was taking an English class. I never showed up to English, but I got an a plus in history instead. My English professor's not giving me credit for that for that history a I got all right i'm gonna push back on this
1: because by giving by giving pick an f um i mean so. The 49ers we know now in hindsight had a Super Bowl roster. Right? So you may you can make the argument that Smith didn't make the team because the Niners simply had too many good players that needed to be on the roster instead of a rookie 6th round pick who they tried to get on the practice squad. So really Smith didn't make the team because the roster was too good, which is why I guess I'm I'm more forgiving of of the pick because he went on to have a you know, relatively productive season with another team, but I do get your point that like it was more or less wasted because he didn't make the roster. But yeah, I if think you don't make, make, make the it roster, because like there was not, too many good players.
2: It's nothing against him or, or the Niners; like they just, they, they, the pick didn't work out. It's okay. All right.
1: Okay. Uh, Justin School, the 183rd selection, also in round six, the 49ers' second. Uh, pick in that round school came in and played pretty well he appeared in 15 games Uh, he started i need to go back and look i should know justin school's stats off the top of my head i apologize Um, justin school started eight games appeared in 15 um played for joe staley and uh there were questions about how the 49ers offense would react to not having Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey for a spell um, early in the season. And the 49ers didn't lose a game with their two backups at tackle. And and essentially their fourth and fifth stringers at their starting tackle spots um, with school and, and Daniel Brunfield, because remember Sean Coleman Was going to be their swing tackle, and he broke his ankle in the first preseason game. So, School came in and played reasonably well. He, against Miles Garrett and the Browns, didn't allow a single pressure um, in that game. And that was one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why the 49ers blew out uh, the Browns in that one. But overall, for uh, for Justin School, pretty decent rookie season, six round pick, potentially a, a swing tackle going forward somebody who didn't look particularly good in training camp didn't come into the league with expectations the the main attribute he had was you could say well this this guy was a four year starter in the sec so he's played a lot um you know good work ethic and and all that not really a toolsy guy by any means but uh Six round tackle come in and start and you, and you know, you don't really see a massive drop off. I think that's a win. So I'll give it a B.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you might even go just given the nature of a late six round pick, you might even go B plus if you want to give them a, a little extra credit for that. But I think offensive line depth was such a concern going into this year. And for most teams, if they were to lose their swing tackle in the preseason, and then lose their two starting tackles within a couple weeks of each other during the regular season, like, that's the kind of injury luck that dooms a team. And so yeah. uh, we won't get to Daniel Brunskill on this on this pod, I don't think, but uh, he was good, but having school able to step in and, I mean, he wasn't phenomenal, he wasn't like a pro bowl caliber talent, but he was fine. And in a league where offensive line player, good or quality offensive line play is so hard to come by, having a fourth or fifth string tackle who can step in and be fine is enormous. And I know that sounds ridiculous because like, yeah, he was okay, is typically not a great compliment, but in this scenario, it is. And if the Niners wind up having school be their swing tackle for the next 10 years, like that's such a huge win from a sixth round pick. Especially when you just kind of like go look at sixth rounds over the last decade, I bet there's not a dozen guys out of there who are any kind of quality players. So um, I just uh, I, I think a B plus or, or a B is is fine here because I mean they got they got a potentially uh, uh, quality contributor in, in the sixth round, which is which is hard to do.
1: Yeah, and it also speaks to Kyle Shanahan's ability to scheme around deficiencies. And that was also, you know, we we were potting throughout this whole thing and um, remember having this conversation. But when the 49ers were winning all those games and everybody is saying, well, the Niners haven't played anybody, are they for real? Looking at what was happening injury from an injury standpoint, losing Kyle Juszczyk, losing the two starting tackles for, what, a month? Um, And the 49ers not losing any games was really impressive and a sign that the 49ers were for real, despite the fact that their competition wasn't necessarily great. It was just the team's ability to pick up the slack around the injuries and get relatively good production from, um, you know, guys, basically, you know, six round rookies. Or undrafted free agents at one point, like that was really impressive, and uh, and sort of um, portended to the future that the 49ers, when healthy, would be uh, would be an elite team and a championship contender. So Justin School, good pick, surprisingly uh, surprisingly good. So Tim Harris, cornerback, Virginia, the third six round pick, the final draft pick the 49ers made, did not play. Uh, he was on injured reserve throughout the year. I want to say. It was a foot or an ankle injury. I don't remember. That was not disclosed, or if at least, at least if it was, um, I do not remember sadly. But uh, I mean, he was uh, the the Forty Nine ers are fine at cornerback throughout the year. He's he was somebody who was hurt a lot. I think he spent. He had a red shirt and a gray shirt season at Virginia. He was in college for six years and somebody who was really highly recruited and thought of to be super talented, um, but just struggled with injuries. And so if he can get healthy, um, this is somebody who could compete for a roster spot next year. Maybe down the road develop into a starter. You never really know crazier things have happened because, I mean, if everything went to plan and he stayed healthy and his college career was what you know, people thought it would be, this might be somebody who was, you know, day two or or early day three draft pick and somebody who we might consider likely to, to compete for a starting job at some point. So if things go well for him, if he gets healthy, maybe that's what we're looking, how we're looking at him in a couple of years. But for now, um, the grade is a, uh, is an NA or incomplete because he just didn't play. And, uh, and that happens sometimes with late round guys.
2: Yeah, I, I really like. I, <laughs> this is my favorite draft thing. I love his traits. Uh, yeah, a lot of physical tools. But no, seriously, he's like six. You two... noticed that in the eval. Yeah, yeah. When I was when I was grinding the tape on Tim Harris. Uh, no, he's like six two, two hundred pounds. Like he's big, and when you when you look at him, he look like he looked big, and that that means something. <laughs> Uh, especially when when the Niners have such a kind of prototypical cornerback they like the thing that worries me the most about about Harris is like he turns 25 in July and he's yet to play a snap in the NFL and when you talk about you know crazier things have happened with guys turning into starters and stuff i that's really hard to believe For a guy who's going to be 25. On the other hand. It's not like he's played and been bad. We just. Don't know. So. I'm. I'm. Really fascinated by Harris. Just for all the things you mentioned. Like. He's got great size. And he was so highly recruited coming out of high school. Like he's. He's clearly a a skilled player. And when he did play at Virginia. He was productive. So. If you tell me he's going to be healthy for 16 games next year, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was on the roster and, and maybe had some kind of role in the defense because it's Sherman, Witherspoon, Mosley, one Williams. And then after that, uh, it's a giant question mark on their roster. And Harris just seems to have a lot of, a lot of tools and a lot of traits that may allow him uh, to take that roster spot as long as he's healthy. So he's one of the guys that... I'm definitely excited to to watch one of those just kind of weird like uh guys that I'm gonna weirdly pay attention to throughout training camp because I do think there's something there. Uh I do worry a little bit that um he he turns twenty five before the season though. And uh I, I worry about his long term development.
1: Yeah, and I think looking at cornerback you know, Richard Sherman isn't going to play forever. You still don't fully know what you have in Akella Witherspoon, given his inconsistencies. You really like what you saw from Emmanuel Mosley. And D.J. Reed has shown some promise. Um, but other than that, like, there's there's a vacuum potentially coming down the road at cornerback. You can make the case that cornerback could be a need this offseason, whether that's the draft or free agency. So um, there will be op- an opportunity if Harris is healthy to uh to compete for for a prominent role. And uh now all that's left good draft is,
2: class.
1: Uh, draft class, yeah. Four four starters, four like good starting players. Yeah. Depending on how you feel about Wishnowski.
2: That's how you build a long-term contender. Uh yeah. well, and we'll we'll dive further into this year's draft as as we get closer but hey, it's time for our betonline.ag future's pick of the week. BetOnline.ag is your online sports book expert. I use them. You should use them too. Use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for a 50% welcome bonus. Chris, today the 49ers over under a set at 10.5 wins. What are you going with there?
1: I'm going over. I know there's a lot of data out there that suggests... It's very difficult for teams that lose the Super Bowl to come back um, and contend again the following season. But looking at what the 49ers have built, depending on how this offseason goes, and obviously it's a big if we're talking in uh, the the third week in February right now, but um, I feel confident that the 49ers are going to be back. I think they are going to use all the discussion – about how difficult it is to return to contention after losing the super bowl as fuel and um maybe that's corny maybe that's cliche but like i do believe in the culture that they have they have a lot of young players nick bosa george kittle um jimmy garoppolo is just getting into his prime if i'm expecting him to take a pretty significant leap next year um and if that happens then that could cover up some some regression elsewhere, particularly on defense. The defense probably isn't going to be as good next year, but it still should be good enough. Um, but if Garoppolo takes it to another level, then I think the 49ers are are going to contend again. So I'm going to go over 10.5 wins for the 49ers in 2020. What say you?
2: I completely agree with everything you said, but if I'm betting on this, I'm betting under because the historical overwhelming odds are that the team that loses the Super Bowl kind of takes a, a step back the next year? The Niners won a ton of close games. They also lost four close games. But I I like ten and a half. I if they go ten and six next year, like that that just that wouldn't surprise me that much. And this has nothing to do really with the 49ers specifically. Like I said, I think your 49ers specific points were all spot on. But when you just look at the history of a team losing the Super Bowl and then repeating that success the following year, the odds aren't great. And so I'm playing the odds and going under.
1: Yep. Well, as John Lynch said, um, and Kyle Shanahan said this too, no team ever on 6-10 and 10 after starting 1-9 and nine until the 49ers did it in 2017. And only two other teams had gone to the Super Bowl after winning – uh four or fewer games the previous season and the 49ers did that this last last year so they're uh you know they've they've overcome odds or data points or whatever previously so barring good health i I think they do it again next year okay so remember i took the over i took the over kyle took the under i'm a hater. he's a clear hater send him all your angry tweets and uh Please he will don't. he will reply to each one of them
2: uh, i deleted the app off my phone it's been great
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right guys I, I think that's all we got uh we will be back next week uh there will be combine stuff happening kyle kyle uh, uh shanahan that's his name right kyle shanahan kyle that's shanahan the guy. And john, kyle shanahan and john lynch will be addressing the media next tuesday Um, So I will unfortunately not be in Indianapolis this year. I did go last year, but uh, because the 49ers have such a dearth of draft picks and there are certain um, realities that you have to deal with in this business after spending a week in Miami uh, for the Super Bowl and all the other long trips we had this season, the decision was made above my pay grade to not send me to, uh, to Indy. And to be honest, I'm fine with it. The weather's great in the Bay area. I've been going on hikes, doing things like that. So, not sad to miss out on indie anyway we'll we'll talk to you guys next week about all the combine developments uh we'll talk about players we're interested in uh speculate uh, do some youtube scouting i'm sure and uh talk about traits and evals and all that jazz so we'll talk to you guys next week as always thank you for listening subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to your pods check out betonline.ag our presenting sponsor and we'll talk to you guys later